This episode is brought to you by Healthy Calorie. Healthy Calorie's vision is to always be a leader in the fast casual dining to bring healthy and food choices to communities in Bahrain. You can now order Healthy Calorie through Talabat and from their standalone stores in Jafer, Rafah, and Tala Plaza. This is Wafa Al-Abedat. You are listening to the Women Power Podcast, a subsidiary platform to the Women Power Summit, the largest event in MENA, with the aim of empowering women and helping them achieve their absolute highest potential. Each week on the Women Power Podcast, you will hear honest, vulnerable, authentic, real conversations from inspiring women. These women will share their experiences and stories into what it takes to build a successful business and career. The podcast will share insight and inspiration and hopefully inspire action and lead change. Ghalia Khunji is a photographer and started her career in the early 90s as a freelance photographer in the fashion industry in New York City. In her latest work, she focuses a lens on herself by exploring her innermost feelings, thoughts and identity as a woman. Ghalia is the recipient of a significant number of awards, including the Lucci Discovery of the Year, dubbed the Oscars of Photography, American Photo Magazine's Image of the Year Award, as well as the Golden Lights Award for Travel. She has exhibited widely in the US and Europe, and in recent years in London, Spain, Italy, France, and throughout the Middle East. In 2018, she exhibited at Sotheby's in London as part of a group show inspired by Khalil Gibran's The Prophet. She was in an ongoing show, I Am Under the Patronage of Queen Rania, which debuted in Jordan. She's also exhibited at the American University in Washington, D.C. as part of a group show organized by Tribe Photo Magazine. This past November, she presented a new work of art for an exhibition hosted by the Kingdom of Bahrain, celebrating the International Day of Islamic Art at the UNESCO headquarters in Paris. Welcome, Ghada. How has COVID treated you? Have Did you feel like, you know, you were able to be more creative or did you feel like stifled? Like, did it, did it serve you this time? For me, COVID, it was like sort of any kind of a relationship, right? You go through stages. So first, I was really quite depressed, even though people, you know, they think, oh, if I only had the time in the world to do what I want to do. And finally, we got that chance, right? But mentally, it really affected me. So no, for a couple of months, I was just really quite depressed, you know, because there's something about not being able to see someone face to face or just say hello or touch them. You know, and it went from that to becoming sort of angry, like different phases and sadness. But then suddenly I felt I got this um, proposition from Dongola Books in Lebanon to do a project on COVID, something I thought I'd never do. I said, okay, but what am I going to do? I don't really want to go out there and, and photograph and stuff. So I started to collect all the Gulf Daily News or Akbar al-Khalij and didn't know what I was doing with them. But I started to just like a nutcase started to cut every word that said COVID, it didn't matter. I knew that with this hysterics of collecting these pieces, something would happen to them. And so out of that, I really actually made a new, pro- uh, a new project out of it by collecting and like sticking together thousands of pieces of the newspaper. I wanted to really get away from the digital side of things and see that if we really had nothing around us, what could I do? Take the newspaper and make art out of it. And then when that started, it started to give me more initiative to do my own work and work on my my Faridas, as I call them, inspired by Frida Kahlo. And also to, I started to revisit, revisit my negatives from circa 1991. And, you know, when you haven't looked at your negatives for all these years, you find tons of gems in them. So alhamdulillah, then work happened, you know, I started to do more and more projects. And now, lo and behold, half a shot done. Inshallah, everything will be better soon. 
Inshallah. Um, I'm happy that that experience, sometimes we need something to just get us started and then find our flow again. So clearly that was a gift, that brief, because it forced you to create and actually use COVID as inspiration or as material. Tell me more about your home and how you've made this, your, how you made it your own space. Well, I mean, for home for me for a long time until 2013 was, uh, was New York. I lived there for over 25 years. You know, as a traveler, and especially like someone I started as being documentary photographer, I start to collect pieces from my travels. So I literally have things around me. This is now my new studio, which used to be basically my mom's dining room. But she passed away um, two years ago. So I took this over. And as you can see, there's pieces of everything absolutely everywhere even things that you know let's not forget that even garbage is someone's art so i remember walking around brooklyn and finding things that you you know people would discard their own family pictures which now i have them on my walls that i collect as as you know piece of my art so everything around here it's nothing really new it's even the furniture everything's recycled and uh, and uh, you know i'm surrounded by all my black and white photographs whether they're mine or whether they're people I've collected, famous photographers throughout the year. So yeah, when you come in and into this room, it's almost like it's me, it's a reflection of me, you know, it's a bit dark, but you know, you know, beauty in darkness and beauty in life and also in, in death. So as you can see, I have my skeletons behind me and um, yeah, things like that. Do you miss New York? Well, I do miss it, but sort of like, we you know, when you're younger, you think you're never going to leave New York. But as you get older, you realize that there's something about you that's always going to come home. And Bahrain is my home now. So I think living anywhere for 25 years, you miss it. But I feel like my time was done there. I, I, was, I, I was there. I had been there, done it. Sort of like lived the life of Frank Sinatra as if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Uh, you know, it's a hard, hard city. Not everyone can handle it. So it wasn't, you know, a ballpark uh, fun ride when I was there. I miss it. I miss my friends. But it's time for a change. And I feel if I hadn't left New York, maybe my art wouldn't have changed as well. So now it's like a new chapter in my life, a new huge chapter. So as much as I miss it, no, I'm very happy to be back in Bahrain. I studied in London, Rada, and I also went to art school. And I feel like, you know, it's a trade-off. Like the city is get like an education from being in the city and just the inspiration that you get from being a design capital is amazing but at the same time like living in a city as a young woman just really hardened me like I became I've had to be so tough to survive you know you have you have to have thick skin you have to speed up you you have to adapt do you feel like the city hardened you toughened you up in in, in any way I mean, absolutely. I think, think that it's important for anyone, anyone in the world, when they get a chance, is to travel abroad, whether it's New York, <clears throat> whether it's London, whether it's going to India or Africa for a couple of months. But we need that to become independent, especially growing up in a region that we do, where we're born with sort of like people helping us around, you know, and pretty much doing everything for us. It was very important for me to be away and to learn to be independent and to be on my own and to face my own hardships and to do my own laundry and learn how to boil eggs and more. Now when I'm back, I feel like I have less fear to, to um, you know, to challenge myself and do too much more. But absolutely it hardened me. I mean, you know, the stories that we went through. But it was the point of like, you know, never giving up. 
You know, you can't just go for one month and think this is it. No, it becomes your soul. And I'm one of those which they call like the third culture children. I don't know if my culture is here or my culture is there. I'm right in the middle of it. But what a beautiful place to be. Like I'm Ghada Khunji from, from Manama, Brooklyn, New York, Bahrain. Yani it's like, you know. Yeah, I love that. From Brooklyn to Manama. So you went to Parsons School of Design. What a legendary school. One of the best art schools in the world. I applied there, but just the process to get in was crazy. Like, you have to submit these drawings and, and these t- this format. I was just like, to apply to an art school in the UK, just submit any portfolio in any shape. This was like, yani the American process freaked me out. What was it like being in that space? I know this is so general or general generic you know how did you convince your parents to fund your education in art well that's a very 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 important question now i'm i'm not you know i'm not a little chicklet mashallah i'll be 54 this year so imagine you know i graduate from bahrain school 1985 i've been to bahrain school since kindergarten and to be honest my family did not want to even send me to the u.s so as my friends were you know, graduating, going to Georgetown and Tufts and everywhere, I wasn't allowed to come to the States. So they let me go as far as England to an American college there. But imagine, for me being so sad, I ended up living... Our college, Harlickson College, was literally a castle. So I lived in a castle, but in a very boring town called Grantham, England. <clears throat> did my two years, but once I did my two years, I think that, you know, then I had this upper hand of saying, okay, family, you know, I've been traveling back and forth. You trust me to be there. Now I want to go to the U.S. Now, I got to go to the U.S., but I didn't get to go to Parsons. I got to finish my, basically, degree that I started in England in a university in Evansville, Indiana, in the cornfields, so, you know, 5,000 people. But what introduced me to was, was really the reality of what most America is like. New York is not most America, neither is California. So I was in a place where literally homecoming was a big thing. You know, so I'm watching movies like Grease and wondering what homecoming is. And suddenly I'm in the middle of a cornfield and someone's saying, hi, my name is Nancy and I'm going to be your waitress today. I'm like, you know, what's going on here, you know? And I was wearing all black. It was Madonna era. And um, people would think, oh, she's evil. Look at her. She wears all black. I didn't fit in very well. But let me tell you, within a couple of years, I decided, you know, that's it. I don't want to be in a sorority, but why can't the internationals also win homecoming queen or king? So guess what? I was the first international homecoming queen. We literally won without being part of a fraternity or sorority. So I felt, Yani, wow, mashallah, Yani, if we set our minds to it, we can really pretty much do it all. So I got that whole experience of living middle America. And then when the Gulf War started, this is what changed everything. I was studying business, you know. I mean, like you said, how did your family let you do arts? Well, I didn't start with art. I started with business. But I knew it wasn't for me. So again, subtly, I changed my my degree to public relations, which then introduced me to photography. And so I applied to the Chicago Art Institute as I was graduating from Evansville. I got accepted, flew back to Bahrain. Within a week, the Gulf War started, which meant we were going to leave. And I went for my one year back in Evansville. You know, they give us students one year to work abroad. Then I decided, wait, what's the best place for photography? Parsons School of Design. And like you said, They sent me a whole thing. You have to do a self-portrait. You have to do this. You have to do a collage. And I'm like, I can barely use a camera. I can't even draw. Somehow I made it happen. I had to fly to New York. Imagine my first time. And to go meet these people at Parsons. But oh boy, I knew that when I stepped foot on New York, that was it. And being, like you said, accepted at Parsons, that wasn't easy. 
not only being accepted, but to be amongst these amazing teachers that became my mentors. You know, people think that art is easy or school is easy, and you can't imagine how many times I ran out of class crying, because it's not easy, you know, and we should be willing to admit those things, how hard it is to get through a college like that and how competitive it is. When that started, that was it. The phoenix had risen and I wasn't gonna stop. Tell me about your favorite... Okay, so I don't know if Parsons worked in the same way that, that my university worked. I went to Chelsea College of Art and Design, but we would get a brief and our tutors would be like, go away, <laughs> just tackle the brief, come back, present. They'd rip us into shreds. Like you said, we'd cry, we'd leave, we'd come back, we'd present, they'd tear it up. They'd personally attack us. They would insult us. We'd go, we'd come back. And we just keep refining and refining until we developed these concepts or presented something to them that, that fulfilled the brief and we would get a grade. But but pretty much for me, like I was self-taught, like go to the library, go to the city, like don't show up. You know, even if you it takes you a couple of hours to do this, do what you need to do to submit something. Did you have that kind of freedom at Parsons or did you feel like, no, we got a lot of handholding and a lot of support? No, I mean, I think it's a, a lot like what you're saying, you know, they, they are, they're teaching you. Well, they didn't only teach us the basics, though. What's important in art, I think, is to learn about other artists and people from your field, all kinds of people. So it was important for them to teach us from the beginning, not only art or photo history, but how to properly develop the film, like the, the very basics of what it is. But then suddenly it's first semester Parsons and they tell us, OK, uh, you're going to get into groups and by the end of the semester, you're either need to be published somewhere you're going to do it yourself or you're going to go around and find a gallery to show your work yeah and it was like that so either you do it or you're out you know but it's putting you in those challenging you know it's sort of like you know you're not going to get away with like most schools telling you go and you come back with a picture of a flower and try to explain it to them that's just not going to work first of all don't waste your money and second of all you're in the wrong school you know if you want people to tell you something's nice if someone told me something's nice I'd probably be like what did I do wrong you know so it had to be everything it had to be where you know suddenly my teacher was Lillian Bassman one of the most famous photographers ever she's teaching me I, I would go and rent my own darkroom space when when school was closed just to do my extra printing and as I'm doing that I had my headphones and I'm listening to run DMC and like rap music and I'm printing and you know dragging my photo boxes everywhere but that's the beauty of it you know and I think also mentioning back about the family you know once you start doing this and you bring this 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 work back and your family sees it then they allow you to stay longer and longer you know because when I started again now art has changed in this region now people literally can say mom dad please fund me I want to be a painter back then it was what are you going to do with it what are you know what I mean but my point was not what I was going to do with it, it was what I will do with it one day I knew that if I hadn't left here and gone abroad, be independent and be amongst the best, I wouldn't be able to compete with the best because at this point, I don't want to just be me in the Middle East. I want to be me competing with the world. Yani, it's time for us Arabs to be literally the top of the top. And I feel, yes, we can. Anna, I love this idea that if I can pick you up and put you anywhere in the world, you would still be competent and you could still perform. You know, we should all be working towards it, not being boxed in and thinking, okay, I'm, I am successful within my space, but actually, are you a citizen of the world? Because today we're here, tomorrow you're somewhere else and you might have to move. How will you adapt? Um, I wanted to ask you about your experience with the camera. You know, you were attracted to photography, you went into that space. And, and you know, when I was in art school, 
some things came naturally to some people. They were naturally gifted. They had their own style from day one. They had so much of their personality in their work. So anything that they put up, and this was really rare, but but the, the tutors would, they would be tough on them. But you can tell like they have their own personality. They know who they are and you can spot their work anytime, anywhere. Did it come naturally to you just, you know, being able to, to communicate through photography and, and were you comfortable in that space? Does that make sense? My question? Absolutely. You know, it goes back to, you know, when people usually say to you, when I was young, my mom gave, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, that was really the case with me. Uh, when I was about, I think, eight years old, I was probably handed my first camera. By, I don't know, 12, 13, my sister got married and I remember taking pictures of her wedding and uh, they had a professional wedding photographer, but my pictures came up better than the wedding photographers, you know. And so it's been in my heart and soul, I think, since I was a child. And then later on, I discovered also as a young child a suitcase full of my mother's old negatives mashallah yeah any big ones they still smell like fixer because you know she grew up in pakistan she grew up in dubai in bahrain but you know even at that time they had cameras for people that were using it so these pictures of my grandfather about this and suddenly i think that just got me even more interested i mean my mother she probably has about 80 albums and negatives so you know there was my inspiration without even knowing it but you know when you get handed a tool like that a camera at an age and again and now that I'm looking at my old negatives, I'm really finding things I've photographed when I was young. And they are so similar. They're portraits, you know, the same square that I enjoy doing much later on. So definitely mine's the story of that. It's almost like another organ attached to me, the, the camera lens. So you were in New York for the longest time. Did you work while you studied? Did you, you know, did you have a side hustle to like make extra money? Or did you get work experience maybe as a photographer's assistant? You know, how did you combine studying and work? at the same time? Okay, when I was studying at Parsons, we had internships. So luckily I got internships with Magnum and Blackstar, which are two huge agencies. So I got to literally handle negatives by Cartier-Bresson and all the greats, you know? So that already was something, but it wasn't making me money because, you know, internships don't. But when I graduated, I would find, I found basically jobs because I was a very good printer. You know, we didn't have computers to print for magazines like Vanity Fair and uh, people like that. So I had a job maybe one of only two or three at a very specific lab where the negatives would come to us and then I'd have to make that negative work or print so many people I printed for but I remember getting my first Vanity Fair cover by Annie Lebo and I'm doing Brad Pitt you know and I'm like you know wow like I did it you see the cover you like you know because printing in itself is magic we didn't have Photoshop really that people were using so if the grass wasn't green then somehow in the dark room I have to balance the colors to make it green which is magic in itself so that's really what what I was making money out of. But also at the beginning, sort of getting the opportunity to photograph events for uh, Women's Wear Daily, WWD. So there I got, you know, sort of when I thought I was interested in fashion when I first moved to New York, you know, had my Vogue covers, the famous Vogue cover with Cindy and everyone on it. I want to do fashion. So here I am make, meeting Jean-Paul Gaultier and In Excess and Linda and Cindy and JFK Jr. and doing all that stuff, you know, as um, just pictures, you know, sort of like paparazzi. I realized something, Yanni, who knows where I would have been now in the fashion world. Something shifted in me within the first two years. I realized that, you know, you go and you meet all these famous people and you're photographing them, but what is it really doing for me as a photographer? And that's where I got the first opportunity to travel to the Dominican Republic. And I, that's where the sort of underprivileged 
people lived. It wasn't easy to get to them or photograph them, but you know, photography is a reflection of yourself. So that's where I realized what I want to focus on is not the money-making part of photography, but actually giving faces and voices to, to the underprivileged people that you, know, you don't often see or talk about and put a name and face to them. So I went from fashion to, to quite the other side of it, really. You worked for a while. You know, when did you become a full-time artist? Like, when did you realize, okay, I am going to do this full-time and I'm going to create my own art and my own work? Or maybe before that, like, when did you transition from a photographer to an artist? I think maybe that's also interesting because I think you do photography, but today you are doing so much more. You're doing, like, theatrical work. You're doing, you're combining art with your photos. You are you know, you're manifesting things like it's not just here is just my photo, but you're actually playing around with the photos, you're, t you're elevating them, you're testing and experimenting. When did you transition from photographer, like click to artist? That was happening throughout my whole career. Even when I started at Parsons, I would even take pictures and decide I'm going to go buy pieces of wood and make my own screen and then dye the photographs and then I'm going to make them into a screen and nail them in. And here I am walking the streets of New York with heavy planks of wood. So that kind of sort of making installations and not just, let's say, a photograph itself has been in me for years. But also at the same time, because I experienced Dominican Republic, think a photograph just a photograph but to me it's also in itself a piece of art so I would travel to India and Cuba and places like that to make these pictures but I was so into documentary photography at that point and then as you know I won the Lucy award specifically for my photography in 2006 now what really changed was when I came to Bahrain 2013 I came back My mother was ill, unfortunately, so I decided to come back permanently and I stayed here. But that's when I started to realize that I wanted to make art now that reflected the inside of me, not just what I see outside. And you know, who hasn't been inspired by Leonardo da Vinci? Someone who decided that anything from a painting to physics to building bridges, airplanes to, you know, art is multifaceted. And my personality is sort of like that, you know, it gets boring to do the same thing. You also need to branch out. So I decided, okay, I'm into, I really want to maybe paint, but I'm not a painter. I don't know how to paint. So, but you can paint via photo montage. But I wanted to do something different, not take stock photography, for example, that people have. I would start to photograph my own glass, the flowers in the garden, a real heart from Sugal Merkazi. And then I would put those into three to four to six hundred layers to make something like The Last Supper or my Frida Kahlo's, for example. Suddenly it took a twist where it looks almost like it's a painting, but it's still the medium of photography. And then why not do things like installations? It's another beautiful thing. Can I do it? The idea is here. So how can this idea now translate? So first big one I did was the, the Shiraz. I don't know if you got a chance to see them. Uh, they were at the museum and big, huge six meter Shiraz I made to represent Bahrain. One, I collected all the abayas from my family that were discarded and one thobes. And I called it Baba and Mammi, which reflects not only my grandfather's a pearl merchant, but you know, with all those pieces of cloth stitched together, really it's the 
energy of a family, right? Uh, and so every time I branched out a little, I decided, okay, now I'm in, why can't I do a fashion outfit, but do it my way? And to, to research, really research the hell out of everything. Because again, everything's been done and recycled. So how can I do it differently? You know, how can we make it a step beyond? And really that's what happened in Bahrain. That's where I just said, fine, and why not be Marina? Why can't I do, you know, it's not even that easy to talk in front of people, but once you start acting, or once you hold, um, say, the lens in front of your eyes, the fear disappears. You know, it's almost like a protection thing. So inside you're nervous and stuff, but, you know, it allowed me to show a different side of me, really, you know, to become this different person. My alter came out. I love that you came back from New York to Bahrain for your mother, but in that process, you also went into yourself to tell your own story. It's like God is home here. You know, it's like it's like going inwards to come outwards. So there's something really beautiful about that possibly phase in your life where it's like the birth of new ideas and you testing and experimenting and trying new things and just creating amazing bodies of work that are very connected to you and your family. You said birth, right? Now, what's interesting is I think because I was confronted with my mother who so, was so important to me in my life. I lost my father when I was very young. It was a rebirth of me, but I started to focus on death, you see. When you see someone around you dying, then you start to... How can you look at something that's withering away but still know that it's beautiful? It's like seeing a flower that's, that's wilting away, right? Making this art that's kind of almost religious and outwardly, it was almost a focus on that, is to find a bit of solace in me to see the beauty of something that's, that's about to, to wither away, you know? We're proud to announce Healthy Calorie as our newest partner and supporter of the Woman Power Podcast. Healthy Calorie follows the motto, you are what you eat, and aims to always be a leader in the fast, casual dining and quick service industry, while growing their company wisely and organically to bring healthy food choices to communities in Bahrain. You can now order Healthy Calorie through Talabat and from their standalone stores in Jafer, Rafah and Tala Plaza. What was your relationship like with your mother? She was my, my, one of my role models, really, you know, like I said, I was only six when my father passed away, so my mother was, was my life, you know, um, and not every mother would have just allowed me to go and travel and, and do what I wanted, you know, we come from a conservative family, but even when my father was alive, he always made sure that all of us, the boys and the girls, had a chance to go abroad and study. So mom, you know, um, I'll show up a picture, and she would never say this is wrong or high ghalat or whatever. She'd be make me a copy and, and give it to me, and you know, and it's sort of like uh, she was she was strength for me. She was strength. She was love. She was everything. You know. I can feel it when you talk about her. Like she seems like such a powerful influence, but also like there's a lot of power in her to uh, to allow her daughter to live an authentic life and to do what she wants to do is so powerful and beautiful. If she was born maybe in the '67, she would have been a me. So she just happened to be born years before. You know. So it's just it's so nice nothing better than your mom looking at you and, and just really enjoying what you're doing and proud of you but I, I admire your mom for being proud of the work that you created because I think a lot of the times we don't reveal our full true selves to our family because we might not be accepted or we might not in my case there be consequences to revealing all my colors right it says so much about your mother that she 
embraced you all all of you all the facets of you um, and we know that takes time of course like i said the beginning it was like you're not even going to the states but then you know it's it's time and you know i think families just want to know more, more than anything that we're safe you know and we're doing something that so it took a long time but you know of course mother would always say so this is the last time you're going to come back and here's god i know i have another year of but at the end you know they let me and they let me and i think more families should should really allow you know when we go abroad people think that we just want to go abroad and have fun and maybe it is you know everyone needs a break first couple of years you know you're away just the way it is but if you're really persistent in staying there there might be another reason you know i mean allow the kid don't be so hard on them all the time you know i wanted to ask you do you think that it's possible to be a full-time artist like do you do you think it's possible for artists to be financially independent from their art not really i was going to say it takes years but then then again these days you know you have influencers or people on youtube making videos and they're making tons of money there's so many ways of making money but you know art in itself you know you've been doing this for so long you are a successful artist that is created art that's true to you there's so much authenticity there's consistency i think there's a lot of structure which i don't think is maybe that's i don't know if that's true but from what i see you are producing content regularly i feel like you show up like i feel like there are a lot of artists who are up in the air and they don't show up i feel you're you can be very professional like you know what i mean and you can show up to the gallery and you can show up to submit your work on time and you know there is a lot of structure structure that I see in combination with what you're doing and rhythm uh, but I want artists you know who listen to this to understand you know did Ghada hack the system did she figure out a way to make a living and produce and do what she loves a lot of people I'm fortunate enough to be able to at least you know I pay a lot for my own art you mean art you could just make a photograph and maybe that's not going to cost you much but when you make an installation basically as any artist you have to put a lot of your own money and your own heart and your own time uh, we don't have 10 people assisting us but always know that you can do it on your own as well like for example if you decide to make a video don't think you need the fancy equipment to make it you can use your iPad which is what I do to make my videos it's the content that's important so do whatever it takes to make your art but don't also think that within one year of graduating that suddenly you're going to stumble at, uh, like people are going to come and buy your your work and suddenly a lot of people need double jobs to make this happen and a lot of people do be more really interested if you're an artist in making the art and like you said being on time and that's something people need to realize in in these countries that we live in now you know they take that for granted new york taught me be on time otherwise goodbye someone else is going to walk in and take your place and no one cares and be persistent and that you're going to be said no to so many times but you can't just say that i'm not going to try again you know put in your as they call it the 10,000 hours you know even people that they think are fantastic at violence doesn't or because they're asian that's crap you know what i mean it's because they sit for hours and hours and practice and do what they want to do but people now think that oh i've shot this i have my iphone or my nikon 25.3282 whatever f and suddenly i deserve to be sold for 3,000 dinars min win no it doesn't happen like that. But then once you do, know what you're worth. How do you price your work? That's such a very, very hard question. You know, because paintings are different than photography. Now, people in the photographic world need to know this, and I think a lot of people don't know, is that it's very important to, to addition your, your photographs. You can't just make a hundred of the same photograph and think that I'm going to sell it for 3,000 dinars each. Because that means there's tons of them out there, right? So a painting that's really good, maybe you'll get a 30,000 dinar, but it's one. So know how to price your work. Now, for people that do want to make money, for example, 
If people can't afford my original piece for a lot of money, then I will make maybe a set of 20 and 30 that I can sell as prints by themselves for people that can afford to buy, which means, you know, then they can, people can afford and you're making some money too. You know, I came back from New York thinking, oh, I've won this and I've won that and my, this piece, I'm going to put $25,000 on it. Do you think someone just jumped and bought it? No. Seven years later, maybe it's starting to happen, but how much work did I do in between, you know, to feel worthy of that? So people need to really understand that and not be so full of themselves suddenly. Put in your hours, you know. You think, you know, there was a reason Van Gogh cut his ear off. You know, people are, uh, Pollock was a drunk. I mean, it's not easy to to create what we create, you know. I feel like it's so vulnerable. You create these artworks and you put so much of yourself in them. And then also to have someone take them away from you or to buy them, like, it's not easy for a lot of artists. A lot of artists hold on to what they create and it's hard. They want to sell, but it's hard for them to let go how does it feel for you when a buyer buys an art piece that you've done for the value that you've that you've priced it I feel like I'm worth it. I feel like after all these years, the amount, I mean, look behind me right now. Do you see the plethora of material sitting there? I don't go and buy an outfit and then make it look pretty. I go to the souk. I go to the embroiderer. I go to everywhere to bring and find all these pieces I'm going to put together. And then when someone say, for example, my latest piece that's been acquired at the Bahrain National Museum, I made this, I don't know if you've seen it, a bisht. And um, of course, I'm honored, you know, and and, uh, without mentioning prices I got what I deserved for it I loved the bisht but I loved you showing up in a bisht as well because you standing next to your artwork also was very uh, artistically beautiful you were the wearable art you were like the moving living art around the art piece so it was you know moment for me I loved like even that on its own as a photo was just beautiful so that was magical I thought that was a good piece Thank you. And, you know, it's important because especially these days, we are the art. Don't we agree? In fashion, I don't mind if my tank top is from Muji and my pants were made from the Khayyat. It's really how you wear it. It's who you really, you know, I've, I've really, in the past year, I've enjoyed holding canes. And people ask me, why do you hold canes? Is something wrong with your leg? I say, no, I just feel like holding a cane, you know, and it, it becomes your own persona. So like, you know, Madonna was her own persona and Maria Callas was her own persona. And this is me. So when I make an outfit, it's as much me as me, art piece, I'm really, really so much more into doing these kind of performance pieces, you know? So I want to talk about Frida. I just, I want to ask you one more thing before we move on to her, because I think that's also very fascinating. You know, I think as creators, we do so much, we create so much. And like you said, to get to a point where you are selling what you're worth in order to continue to do what you love, in order to take care of yourself, to do what you love. I think at the end of the day, every creator's dream, just pay me enough so I can keep doing this. I can do it well. And we reinvest it back into our work. Do you still take on free work or collaborative opportunities that don't necessarily monetize for the sake of creation or are you strict about like if I'm going to do this you know I'm going to charge or you know what is your approach to non-paid and paid work look 90% of what I do is not paid 90% is because you care about other people and you care about other artists and it's really important to collaborate with other people like in Bahrain if I care about somebody if I care about an artist and they ask me will you pose for me or can you help me do this or can you be of course I'll do it for free you know that's that's different so it's only maybe 10% that I say okay now this is what I've made and I want you know this is for sale but absolutely most of the things I'll do and I've done a lot of initiatives and things with people here 
for free. And I'm totally open to that because not everything, again, is about, about money, you know. And I don't want to ever have that attitude, really, that I am Radek Funji, therefore I must be paid by the hour. Once again, we'd like to thank our partners, Healthy Calorie, for sponsoring the Woman Power Podcast. Healthy Calorie delivers taste, nutrients, and a scrumptious meal without compromising on the calorie intake. As loyal customers and frequenters of this healthy and delicious brand, we can attest to the fact that they provide source high quality ingredients on all items on their menu and nurture their team to make healthy calorie food accessible to all at a reasonable price. You can follow them on Instagram at Healthy Calorie. You can also order Healthy Calorie through Talabat and from their standalone stores in Jafer, Rafah and Tala Plaza. When I was working as a creative in the city, people just loved to create for the sake of creating. And like they would have side hustles and they'd work in a shop, but they did all of that so they can cr- do something in light design or they can make film and they can collaborate. So they wanted the option to be able to create with freedom. I feel like when the language changes here, not everybody wants to work for the sake of creation for so many reasons. I love maintaining that culture of creating for the art. For, for me, like I, I want to create because I'm a creator. I need to keep doing it, whatever the end goal is. Yeah, I want to talk about Frida. I love Frida Kahlo. So, I mean, I see so much of you in her and I see so much her work kind of seeps in through yours and that language, your language with hers is so intertwined. When did you first fall in love with Frida and why? My love for her started when I saw Salma Hayek in the movie. Have you seen the movie Frida? Of course. But here I am living in New York for all these years. Did I manage to go see a real Frida Kahlo piece? No. Did I go to Cayo Khan and see her house? No. Came back to Bahrain and suddenly I'm doing these montages and suddenly I'm thinking of Frida Kahlo and I start reading her biography and stuff. And I realized the connection that this woman was born in the 20s in Mexico. But how similar we are, you know. I mean, I think this is the power of what Frida Kahlo is. Is, is that there's a bit of her in every woman in the world. And she had no fear of, of, of expressing herself, her anxieties, her failures, her eccentricity. It was all there for everyone to see and share. So I realized how similar the two cultures were and that we're, we're both going through the same kind of pain and sorrows and love and things like that. And then suddenly when the name Farida, so I, I call it Farida, and it's Frida with a small a. It's the Bahraini version of what Frida Kahlo would be. And um, I think I think till today she's probably the most celebrated female artist in the world. I've heard that when she has openings, people line up like thousands of people want to go. There's a, this is quite impactful. But again, to do it in my own way, to do it in a, a medium that's totally, absolutely photo montage of things that that belong to me. Uh, so it's an homage to her. It's kind of you know, it's like copying someone but not copying someone. When I first saw Frida's work, I saw her in these little art books before I even went to art school, and I just thought she was the most beautiful beautiful woman in the world because of how brave she was like she had nothing like she was inside out like I saw everything and I think that was so beautiful everyone I think secretly wants to be Frida like like whatever me looks like can I just be me I saw her work for the first time in the Tate they did before I left I remember before I moved here they had a solo exhibition in the Tate Modern all her pieces were there and 
she's just so magical and like you said i i find your work very brave Rade, like very brave and very moving but i think for sure you show up to be authentic and and i think she did that as well so i love the i love seeing your work and and, and seeing the inspiration but for sure i love that you've taken it and made it your own as well which is which is so cool the difference between the role a woman plays than a man plays even in the art world you know her husband was diego rivera she you know she was she became probably even more fascinating than him right now but how once she ended showed up in a newspaper and, and the newspaper said and uh, Diego's wife dabbles dabbling in the art of she's also painting as if it's really important that there's a sense of inequality even in the art world between male and female artists and even how much we're worth and I think that needs to change and there's this famous art historian Linda Nochlin who wrote in the art review in 1971 a famous collector came to her and said why aren't there any great women artists and the woman didn't know what to say to him it's sort of like really you know like where I really want to do this show but where are the Picassos and the Van Goghs and the female world you know we have to look at the past and realize that we never had opportunities like men did even back in the day when there were the art salons and stuff women were not allowed it's almost like it took us 30 years to be allowed to even uh, be allowed into the school of painting and portraiture and things like that. So how dare you? Um, you know, I'm sorry, but why can't a woman make just as much as a male in art? Why are men, mostly men, in charge of all these things? I'm a little tired of that. Yeah, and Radi, I mean, this is across every industry in the world that, you know, the more successful you become, the less women are in that space. We're a minority. And it doesn't reflect the world. We are 50% of the world. We should be represented and welcomed in these spaces because we are caregivers because we we actually make more money even as business owners from a business perspective I love covering kind of the business side of things and it's uh, it's it's skewed as you get higher up into any position of influence right as an artist as a as an astronaut as a CEO so it is for sure like not reflective of, of our time I love showcasing everyone's playbook like our playbook to success whatever that is for us, it's different for everyone, is very different than a man's. You know, we have to do very different things to be seen and recognized and noticed and to find balance in in all aspects of our life. So I agree with you. You won a lot of different awards. Which award resonated with you the most and why? Well, two really. One was uh, the Lucy Award, which you can see her somewhere in the back there. If I'm not mistaken, I think till this day, and I don't know how many there are now, I think I'm the only Middle Eastern, which is pretty cool. But to win this award and be at a ceremony where so many of my favorite photographers are also being honored in this grand hall and to go up there and, and look at their faces and them sharing and seeing my work, I think for me, this was like winning an Oscar. And then same year I won the American uh, Photo Grand Prize winner also which was really a cool award because it was equal open to everyone so even Annie Leibovitz was going for it and I got to get it that was pretty cool too you know it's nice to to win things where you know you've been in New York this long and and competing for this long and then to be recognized for it you know I didn't realize how much I enjoyed the validation of winning these things until I actually got my first big award back in 2015 I won I won startup of the year for my company 
company for this entrepreneurship event. It was like my Oscar, like it was like that. But also I didn't realize how hard I have been working and against all odds, I was still there. And then I realized like getting validated by my community and being seen and recognized, it just makes you feel so good. There's like a huge burden on my shoulders that was just kind of gone. It, it felt like people were saying, welcome, hello, we see you. We recognize that you are working so hard and you're sacrificing a lot. We want to celebrate that. And that is more fueling, like you said, than any grant, you know, it's, it's for someone to say that validates you, validates your existence. Like even if we think we're good, it's just good to be recognized in that way. It's the best feeling. I always say the younger you can have that experience, the better, because then you can move on and then you can keep doing other stuff. Okay. So you don't strike me as a 54 year old woman. And I know age is nothing but a number, but you so youthful and so free spirited and very playful. Like I feel you love what you do, but also you are in the moment and you enjoy it. How do you, like not strategically, but is that your intention to be young at heart and to enjoy life and to be free spirited and to be open, to be open to things? Yeah, this, I don't know how that really happened with me, but I suppose like, you know, a lot of people are afraid of mentioning their age and it's sort of like, why not? You know, it's, it's uh, like you said, age is just a number. And I like things cause I like them. Like who would think at the 54, I'm still listening to rap music or I can actually break dance or I'm wearing a t-shirt with like a dog. And like, you know, it, it's just, again, it's just what I enjoy. So I don't feel like I need to play by rules. I don't think I ever have, you know, it was like, so I didn't graduate school and end up getting married and having children and having a successful business and, you know, 10 Chanel bags and I don't drive a car. So how do you get around? Well, when I lived in New York, you didn't need a car. Listen, I hardly ever leave the house. So, you know, it, it's not that difficult. Not, I mean, it's a long story why they didn't give me the license, but we won't talk about that. You know, I remember when Rewak used to be here. I live in Adlia. I would walk, take my camera and my mom and Madrada, be careful of what? I've lived in New York. It's actually quicker than a car sometimes. Yes, yeah, so I don't know. I, I've never chose to be who I am. It just maybe growing up the way I did somehow allowed me to just, you know, be atypical like this, you know? I think that makes you so cool because in a culture that, like you said, is conservative, though there's obviously so much has changed, you know, ever since social media, like so many things have changed. You're still atypical for sure because people still, you know, do the, you know, there's like a checklist. We get married, we have the baby, and then there's all the societal pressure to conform. So you just being you and owning it is just, awesome and I think that's what makes you really special how do you pick which exhibitions you want to be a part of is there stuff that you have to do every year and you're like this is um, you know you submit to these places do you get invited to submit to different spaces around the world Luckily for me, I've been invited. So mostly it's invitation at this point. But of course, at this point in my career, also I get to do... And, any, and you know, everyone should have a choice of saying, yes, I want to do this or I don't. But when you're younger and you're first starting, you got to try everything. You know, I mean, one of the first shows I ever had, even in New York, was at a hairdresser salon. And that for me was great. You know what I mean? It was a shishi one, but people came and people saw my work. Granted, I probably won't do that now, but I mean, it's something... 
you have to keep doing and doing and doing and doing the regional shows and doing all that because they need to see you somewhere before they, you know, this whole Instagram thing, we're all on it and we all kind of have to do it and whatever, but it's this small, who's really seeing anything? I mean, are you really seeing work and like, 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 I mean, you, we need to start becoming more like, you know, do things that are more tangible, like literally go and see that piece of work, you know, and because it takes a lot of energy, like when I did the one for um, the Bahrain Museum, it was a commission, but it took me five months to do it. You know, so, but at this point, I know which ones I want to do and which things I'll say no to. I don't have enough time to do it all and I don't feel like I need to do it all. You know, I'd rather just focus on what I want to do. But for anyone starting, you know, again, don't just look at what gifts they're going to give you at the end or whatever, but try to show your work, you know? Is there something that you haven't done yet that's kind of in your plans that you'd love to achieve soon? You know, like this is something I would love to do or this is a place I'd love to showcase my work in. Well, there's so many, you should see the books of ideas I have. So I won't discuss what I want to do, but I do know where I want to be. I want to show at the Venice Biennale one day. I want to hear the words, ladies and gentlemen, maybe it's in Italian, from the kingdom of Bahrain, Ghada Khunji. I want to win the golden line. I want to, why not, go for the Oscars, go for Khan, Jamil, Agha Khan. I want it all. And I know it sounds really like I'm full of myself, but I'm not. Because if you don't say it, if you don't believe it, if you don't write your speech already how are you gonna get there you know if you give up that's it that's the end you know I don't mind if I'm 78 years old and suddenly Guggenheim or MoMA decides to show me yes that's what I want and I want to deserve to be there and I want us our country to shine because it's time that's what I want standing along women like you I want all of us to shine that's what I want Ghada that was beautiful such a beautiful manifestation and I I love that you're saying it and you're unapologetic because a lot of the times we're scared to share our dreams or to dream too big maybe it's I, I'm full of myself you're not full of yourself actually you know what's wrong with wanting all the things you know that's a very unapologetically ambitious and I love it so thank you for sharing that with me and I love that you want to champion women on your way you know and and I really really want our our part of the region to start shining now and it's really our turn not just me not just you, but all these Arab women around us. Yani, I want people to understand that we can all do it, you know, and it's, it's our turn. It's our turn now and that we can really all shine together, you know. I like to end my podcast with this question. So it's like a nice wrap up ending to the podcast. What do you believe is your superpower? What do I believe is my superpower? I think I have the power to make people smile, love, peace. Those are all my superpowers. Honesty and believing we can. It's simple. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to an episode of the Women Power Podcast. And thank you for downloading and streaming our podcast every week. If you love what you've heard, tag us on Instagram and follow the Women Power Podcast and Women Power Summit account for more information on our next episode. Please leave a rating review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps other women discover the show. That's it from me. See you next week.